Right, friends, I want to talk to you on a, a most uncomfortable and uh, unpopular theme, uh, because tonight I, I want to speak to you on the subject of death, or I suppose more precisely than that, uh, tonight I want to speak to you about your own death. And I'm right in saying that it's an unpopular and uncomfortable theme, aren't I? Uh, certainly if we consider the attitude that society has towards death. There's that famous uh, observation, isn't there? Uh, you know, I'm sure, that the Victorians, the Victorians were obsessed with death, but they never ever talked about sex. And now... What's the situation? Uh, we in the 21st century, we are obsessed with sex, but we never ever talk about death. It's been this complete reversal, and it's, it's, it's accurate, isn't it? Uh, is it not? Uh, death is, I suppose, the great unmentionable in the 21st century. We do everything we can to distract ourselves from death. Don't we? People pour themselves into consumerism. Uh, people binge watch uh, a TV series on Netflix. And why are they doing this? Well, partly, yes, it's to try and escape the monotony of their own lives, I'm sure. But partly, surely, it's also to do with escaping the reality of their own Mortality. We are trying to distract ourselves as a society from death. But we could also say this, couldn't we? That in recent times, society's attitude towards death, it's taken an unwelcome turn. I wonder if you see what I mean by that. In, in recent years, there's been this, this, this growing demand for euthanasia that's been sweeping across Europe. It seems to be the media's uh, latest cause. And what is the thesis that usually goes alongside euthanasia? What do we usually hear? Don't we hear something like this, that death has robbed people? Death robs people of dignity. So what must we do if we decide when to die... Well, we're taking back something of control from death, you know. If we go with euthanasia, if we decide when we die, it's almost like we're cheating, almost like we are defeating death. Well, as Christians, we've, we've got to stand and say, that is nonsensical, isn't it? I mean, yes, we've got to be absolutely sympathetic for people who might be in a dire situation with terminal disease, but we can't stand and agree and say that, that euthanasia cheats death, defeats death. What do we know? We know that death will win out in the end. And from society's view of death, let's tonight consider what Almighty God has to say about the matter. So what have you got in front of you? You've got uh, Second Timothy, okay? A letter that 
Paul has written late in life to his younger brother in the faith, and largely he's written it for his encouragement in the Christian walk. Second, Timothy. But uh, I'll uh, be up front with you uh, just now. Really tonight, all I want us to look at, I say all, but all we're going to look at tonight are four words. That is it this evening. Four words. And you'll find these four words in the verse marked 10. So would you look at the verse with me? I'm going to read the verse, but I'm pretty sure you'll work out what the four words are. Let's look through it, okay? Verse 10. Have a look. Paul says, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed And though it's not some of the most epic words ever penned, that your Savior, Christ Jesus, he has destroyed death. So this evening, what we're going to do in our time together, short time together, is we are simply going to ask questions of that phrase there. We're going to think about, try to ask and answer questions about this phrase. He has destroyed death. He's destroyed death. So questions of that. But first, before we do that, let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that we, uh, even as you people, we find the subject of death disturbing, greatly disturbing. And uh, we ask for illumination and we ask for help and guidance uh, this evening. And we do so pleading with you only in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, first question is this. What does it mean that death has been destroyed? How can we say that death has been destroyed? What does it mean that death has been destroyed? Okay, now if you travel from our house, the, the manse in Woodford, and if you're traveling from northeast London, you're traveling into the very heart of London, before you go underground in the train, if you look out the window, what happens is you travel past what I think is called a St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Cemetery. Okay, so it's out there in Leytonstone or, or Leighton. Uh, St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Cemetery. I've never seen anything like this before. Okay, not before I moved here. This cemetery is massive. Like you, you, you see it and there, there are gravestones as far as that I can see almost. It's absolutely enormous. Now, so much so that one of the members of my extended family, he hates the place, you know? Like if we're traveling in, he will be on the tube and he'll sort of divert his eyes. He doesn't even want to look at the cemetery. Now, why? It reminds him. It reminds him of death. And he hates it because it reminds him that he knows that every single person out there, every person that he sees, it reminds him of the, the simple fact that those people are inevitably going to die. So you have that. Here's the truth. We can, we can even add to that though, can't we? Because what is it that we know? We know it's not just the people out there. We also know that the people in here, we know that believers too, 
that ultimately should Christ not return before then, that believers die. Don't we know this? Don't we know that as a Christian community today? Don't we godly men and godly women, people who have even taught us some of the great things of grace, they, like the pagans, what will happen? We will all face, we will all face death. We'll face death. Now, in light of that, surely there's a question going round in your mind just now. Is it not this? The question, is this phrase a lie? Now you see what I'm getting at, do you know? What is the phrase that we're dealing with here? Christ has destroyed death. Hang on a second. What about St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Cemetery? Do you see it? How can we say that Christ... Is this a lie? Is this a joke? Is it a mistake? How can we square that phrase? Christ has destroyed death. How do we square it with the reality that all of us are seeing all around us? Well, the key, as always with the Bible, is in the words. I want you to think of it like this. In our back garden, we have a tree. And when we moved to Woodford, the tree was an active tree. The tree would bear fruit, you know, it would bear leaves, it would bear berries. And then all of a sudden, something happened to the tree. And the tree now, well, the tree does nothing. Like the tree is uh, inactive. There's bears no leaves, it bears no berries, bears nothing at all. Now here's the thing, that is the language that Paul is using here of death. And do you see what I mean? Do you see what he's saying? He is not saying that Christ Jesus has entirely done away with... He's not saying that Christ has obliterated a physical death, done away with it, cleared it away. No, because think about it, the tree is still in my garden. Now what is Paul saying here? He is saying that Christ Jesus has done something to death, that death, like the tree, death no longer bears fruit. Do you see it? What has happened in the gospel? Christ has changed death. He has altered death. He has transformed. Do you know what? Death is now no longer what it once was. And what I'm concerned to do is to show you how the biblical evidence supports this dramatic claim from Paul. So I don't often get you to do this in a sermon, but I do want you to do it just now. And it's just to pick up your Bibles and to turn with me to Psalm 88. Okay, would you do that? Would you look back in your Bibles to Psalm 88 verse 9? Now we've just sung it. Just in case it hasn't gone in when we were singing it, we'll look at it again. Psalm 88 from verse 9. Now, you've got it there in front of you. Here's what I want you to think about as we read. I want you to think about the Old Testament view of death that you're getting here, okay? Now, let's read it from verse 9. The the words beginning, I call to you. You see it? I call to you, O Lord, every day... I spread out my hands to you. Now, now, here we go. What is the view and attitude to death we're about to get here? Look at it. Do you 
show your wonders to the dead? To those, do those who are dead, do they rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Now, what's the attitude of death you've got there? It's the same really as all the way through the Old Testament. What would, what would you say is the view of death there? Wouldn't you say that death is there as a terrible thing? Is that death is an off, death is a place of darkness where God is neither praised nor is he present. You see, that's the Old Testament picture of death. Now, what happens next? You know your salvation history. You've got the Old Testament. What happens then? The Messiah comes. And I'm saying to you, the Messiah then transforms death. And here's my question for you. What then is the New Testament view and approach of death? Do you know this? That in the New Testament, believers are never said to die. You think about it? In the New Testament, they are never spoken of as dying. In the Old Testament, it's, oh, the, the cords of death entangle me. The New Testament, what about Stephen? Stephen? What happens to Stephen? He falls asleep in the Lord. Isn't he? And wait a minute, what about Lazarus? What happens to Lazarus? What does Jesus say? He's fallen asleep. And what about Paul when he's speaking to the church in Thessalonica? What does he say? Brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant of those who have fallen asleep. Let you see what we've got here. Christ has clearly done something. Christ has altered death. Christ has transformed. He's changed death. It's not what it once was. I want to say to you tonight, that surely has to impinge upon your witness in London. Because you think about your friends, and you think about the people you work with, and you think about how terrified they are of dying. And what do you have? You have a message of one who has utterly tamed death. Do the people in your life not need to hear about him? Do they not need to hear about what Christ has done? What are we seeing? What was the question? What does it mean that death has been just? It means it has been in Christ. Changed. Death has been altered forevermore. A second question that must, I think, lead on from that is this. How? Okay, we're saying Christ has changed death. We're saying Christ has altered death. So the question is, how then has death been destroyed? How has death been destroyed? And the first thing that I want you to think about here is why humans die. It's quite an interesting subject to think about. Like if we try, and we can't do it, but if we try and take God out of the equation for a moment, and we try to look with secular eyes and secular eyes only, why is it, from a secular point of view, that humans die? Why does somebody from nowhere develop a cancerous tumour 
We don't know why. We don't know what's happening. And why is it that they die? From a secular point of view. Now, I read this week a number of scientific scientific journals uh, that were seeking to answer this question. Why do humans die? And I could go and give you a lot of the answers. I'll just give you one. This was the main scientific journal. And it says, why do humans die? It, it is about evolutionary wisdom. That humans have developed over time a knowledge that they must die to avoid overcrowding on earth. So it is that we have developed over time this idea that uh, we've got to die, we must die, humanity must die so that we don't end up really squashed. Uh, okay, now we could laugh. Maybe uh, we can laugh at the question, that answer to that question. I don't want to laugh at it though. Instead, I want to turn the question over to you. So your friend comes to you tomorrow and asks you, well, wait a minute, why do humans die? What, 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 what is it? What are you going to do with the question? What I hope you would do is you would run as fast as you can to the Bible. And you would see that death is the curse of the law. Wouldn't you say that? Wouldn't you go to Genesis 2? What happens in Genesis 2? God says to humanity, says, if you rebel against me, if you eat the fruit of that tree, what's going to happen? What does he say? He says, you will surely die. And what do we do? We rebel against God. We eat the fruit of the tree. And what happens? Well, surprise, surprise, we face repercussions for that rebellion. I ask you, what's death? And you say to me, the wages of sin is death. That's what death is. Now, that's bad news. Do you see why it's bad news? It means that in death, we do not just give up the ghost. Do you see why it's bad news? It means that there is a punishment associated with death. Death is a punishment. There is wrath affixed and attached to human death. That's bad news. But is there any good news here? Yes, there is. But it's maybe not what you think it is. This week, uh, at family worship, I was asking the children some questions. Okay, so we have our evening meal round the table and after the evening meal we'll have a time of family worship and uh, I was asking the kids some questions as I try to do uh, in the evening worship. So I asked, the, I was speaking to the kids and I said, after we read the Bible and so forth, I said, right, kids, here's how it is. Dad is going to preach on death on Sunday night. And he's going to preach on how Jesus has defeated death. So I asked the children um, what they would say, how they would answer the question, how has Jesus destroyed death? Uh, what, what, what answers do you think they might give to that question? Actually, they answered, they gave the answer that I think many of us, myself included, would have given. How's Jesus destroyed death? And they thought about it for quite a while, to be honest. And then they said, Dad, 
he destroyed death by rising from the grave. Dad! He, he destroyed death by, yeah, he sat up, there was a grave clothes and he sat up and, and, and he stood up and he, he even walked out of the tomb. He destroyed death by rising from the grave. That's a great answer though, isn't it? I mean, that's this sort of answer. I, I want to hear that. That's a good answer. But I want to say to you tonight, it is an incomplete answer. It's a, only a partial answer to the question. Because I want to go back to what Paul read earlier on. Now listen to this. This is uh, from the letter to the Hebrews. Now I'll, I'll just read a couple of uh, just read a couple of sentences here. Now listen to this. So the writer to the Hebrews says this. He says that Jesus shared our humanity. Why? Now listen to the next bit. He shared our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. So do you see the point? Now here... Hear this, if nothing else tonight. Primarily, it was at the cross. Primarily, it was in him giving up his own life that Jesus destroyed death. Do you see that? We say it's the resurrection. But I'm saying to you, it was as the nails went into his hands and feet. It was as that spear went in his side, as as Jesus gave up his last breath. That's where he won the victory over death. And, and, And you say to me, well, how is that? Well, think about what we've just said. What is death, friends? What is death? It is the curse of the law. It is the wages. It is the punishment of sin. And I ask you, what was Christ doing there in his death? You know the answer to this question. What was Christ doing at Calvary? He was taking the curse of the law to himself. Do you understand that? That at Golgotha, the Lord Jesus Christ was taking that punishment that was on your death. And he lifted it up off your death and he put it on his own shoulders. Do you see? There, in the darkness at Jerusalem, what was he doing? He was bearing the curse. He was paying the wages. He was accepting the wrath of God for all of our sin. It was at the cross. It was at the cross. Now, do you see what that means now for us in here tonight? It means that death has no hold on any of us, the children of God. I mean, it means, it means now, this side of, of, of Calvary, it means that, that death has lost all of its horror. It has lost absolutely all of its terror. I mean, isn't that why Paul elsewhere in scripture, do you know what I'm gonna, where I'm gonna go here? What does he say? What does he shout out to the skies? He says, death, where's your sting? What does Paul know? He knows that Christ at the cross, he took the sting out of death. Paul knows death neutralized, nullified. Now in death there is no condemnation at all for the people of God. Why? Because Christ has borne that condemnation that was on your death. And Christ has borne it all. He's taken it all, the old rugged cross. 
Friends, I, I hope you see how utterly marvelous an answer we have to the second question. Remember the question? How has Christ destroyed death? He destroyed it in his death and resurrection. What are we seeing? We are seeing the death of death. But where? In the death of Christ. Third question is this. What does this destruction of death mean for you and me and the way that we live? What does this destruction of death mean for the way that you live and the way that I live? Okay, I'll tell you what, let's just go back for a minute to the society view, our cultural view of death. Now, again, I'm asking you to think about the people in your life, to think the people that you work with. Why is it that they refuse to think about and even speak about death? Why is there cultural aversion to death? Why would you say that? What would you say is the reason? Is it not that the people in our lives are utterly terrified of dying? Isn't that right for the people in your life? They are petrified of death. Um, The Duke of Wellington once said uh, this. He said, that man who... That man is a coward or a liar who boasts of never having felt the fear of death. That man is a coward or a liar. He says he's never felt fear of death. So the people in your life are petrified of death. So the question is, should we be the same as that? Should you and I in this room tonight, should we be scared of dying? Well, no. Consider again, I've asked you this already, but what is it that you're holding in your hands just now? Okay? What have you got there? What book of the Bible is it? It's 2 Timothy. Now, do you see what that means? That means that what we're dealing with tonight is not just a kind of uh, the musings of Paul, uh, the musings about death in the abstract. See, this is 2 Timothy. This is written in the moments before Paul dies. This is his last letter. Paul is writing this from terrible situation in Rome. Paul is writing this knowing that any moment guards are going to come and he is going to be executed. And what do we see? We see throughout this book that Paul is not afraid. He has no fear of death in this book. And you see why? Because of these four words. He knows that Christ has destroyed death. And I want to say to you, friend, you as a Christian, you should be in that same boat with the Apostle Paul. Can I underline this for you tonight? That you, if you are in the Lord this evening, you have no reason at all to fear your coming death. You have no reason to fear it. I mean, the the death, death is not as it once was, but I'll give you another reason why you need not fear your death. And it's this. I can assure you, I can promise you this, because of the cross, that in the moment of your death, as you face death, as you perhaps lie on your deathbed, 
the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, he will be with you in your death. As you lie dying, the Holy Spirit of Almighty God will give you all the strength that you need to face death. Do you understand it? You have no reason at all to fear death. But do you know this? I'm going to add to it, and it's controversial, but listen to me. I firmly believe that as Christians, you can actually look forward to the day of your death. You can look forward to the day of your death. You see, think about the Apostle Paul once again, right? Now, you know what he writes in Philippians chapter 1, right? There's another four great words in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. Now, you ready what he says? He says these four words, I desire to depart. You see it? The Apostle Paul, such is the all-encompassing work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul can say, I desire to depart. I desire the day of my death. I, I look forward to that day. And you and I can be like that. I, I assure you we can. Because you don't you what will happen on that day. Do you see it? Do you know what will happen? That in your thinking, at your point of death, the very next thought, at your death, you will be conscious of the close presence of Jesus Christ with you. That at your death, immediately, instantaneously, you go to the presence, the close presence, the perfect presence of Almighty God, your body, to be reunited with you later. Do you see what I'm saying to you? Do you see it? Like I'm saying to you that your death, if you're a Christian, for you it's no tragedy. It ain't. It is merely a transition. And at that very point of your death, you finally understand these four words. Because you will be in a place where forevermore you will know that Christ has destroyed death. Do you see it? We need not fear. In fact, in Christ Jesus, we can actually look forward to the day of our departure. And I end tonight in a word with a fourth question. I think it's the most important question of them all. For whom has death been destroyed? And I, I, I say, I, it brings me no pleasure at all to stand in front of you this evening and to say that if you are unbelieving, the death has not been destroyed for you. And if you are stubbornly Resistant to Christ, if you stand outside of Jesus tonight, I have no good news for you. There is no comfort in what we are looking at tonight because what the Bible makes abundantly clear 
is that if you are outside of Christ, that punishment and that wrath and that curse that is attached to death for you, it still remains. And what the Bible teaches is that at the point of your death, there will come a second and much more awful death. Much more fearful than the first. So I stand here tonight and I ask you, I plead with you to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive your sin. Because surely this evening, in what we are looking at, you see what there is to be gained in Christ. You see what he has done for his people. He has borne that hell so that you might not need to. He's taken all of that condemnation upon himself. Will you not bow to the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? Because as we in here, the children of God, know, what do we know of Christ? That he is the only one. What is true of him? What do we read in scripture? He at the cross and in the resurrection, he is the one who has swallowed up death. That swallowed up death forever. Let's pray.